Let's talk about treason. If you've been paying attention to the news anytime, but definitely yesterday, you probably already know why I'm talking about this. We're going to talk about treason. Specifically, we're going to talk about why, even though people, you know, all over Twitter and all these think pieces and being like, oh, this whole situation is treason and our president is a traitor, there's. We need to dig a little bit deeper here because that's actually not true. And it all comes down to what essentially feels like in this very extreme scenario to be a technicality. Now, we could look look beyond the United States. I mean, Europe has a very rich history of treason, but I actually got lost in this Wikipedia for the very specific and obvious reason that pertains to treasons that have been committed against the United States of America. Like, what is the historical precedent here? And that's kind of why this episode talking about it is really Western-centric and specifically US-centric, though obviously you could look into treason practices or treason trials in other places. Before we dive in here, we should probably do a little bit of background on what treason is according to the U.S. Constitution, that is, what makes someone a traitor in America, or rather, against America. Now, there are two places that we can look for a definition of treason in a legal sense, so from the legal standpoint, i.e., you can call anyone a traitor, but whether they are in the eyes of the law is down to a very narrow and strict definition. Which makes sense, because treason has historically been an offense considered to be so serious that it would warrant deporting someone or imprisoning them for life, if not sentencing them to death. So no, the U.S. Constitution did not take defining treason lightly. Now, in the U.S. Constitution, Article 3, Section 3 states that, quote, treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. Now, like a lot of things that formed America, the narrow definition of treason was a bit of a carryover from previous statutes in Europe, who had considerably much longer and bloodier history of dealing with treason, and thus very new baby America was probably at least wise in taking lessons from them about how to define crime and punishment as to be, I don't know, not too willy-nilly about it. Now the US Code too gives a likewise very specific definition of treason, and what is to be done when one commits it. Quote, whoever, owing allegiance to the United States, levies war against them or adheres to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort within the United States or elsewhere, is guilty of treason and shall suffer death or shall be imprisoned not less than five years and fined under this title but not less than $10,000 and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States. So there are a few pieces we need to unpack. Now let's start with the basic fact that treason is committed against the United States by an individual with allegiance to the United States, even if that that act does not occur on U.S. soil. And in fact, it may not be the person was born here or even holds permanent citizenship. A person who is here temporarily can engage in and be found guilty of treason while they're here or when they go abroad if they are still in some way temporarily allegiant to the U.S. Now, one example of the complexity of this issue was addressed in a Supreme Court case during World War II involving a man named Tomoya Kawakita, who was born in California to Japanese parents, meaning that he had dual citizenship between the United 
United States and Japan. Now he'd actually been traveling in Japan as a young man when World War II broke out and ended up staying there until the war was over, during which time he was involved in questionable, potentially abusive practices with some American prisoners of war. Now when he tried to come back to the United States after the war was over, he was charged with treason. But he argued that he couldn't be convicted as a traitor because he must have lost his U.S. citizenship since he'd been in Japan for so long and during the war, no less. But the courts, all the way up to the Supreme Court, disagreed and found that he had retained his dual citizenship the entire time. His death sentence was eventually converted to life in prison, and when he was ultimately released, he was actually deported to Japan and was never allowed to return to the United States. Now, for the most part, when we talk about treason historically, or, well, contemporarily, I guess, we're talking about U.S. citizens who turn on the U.S. in some way and become traitors to their country. Now, these terms get thrown around a lot to describe instances when people have done things that have in some way endangered the U.S., so think about, like, leaking information or whistleblowing or things like that, or that have denounced the government's practices or its people. But these things do not necessarily a traitor make in the eyes of the law. They may be unlawful, but not treason. And that's because treason is an extremely specific crime with a very narrow definition. Now, there are plenty of things that a person or a president can do that are not in the best interest of the country, that put the country and its people at risk, that humiliate the American population on a global scale and completely undermine the integrity of our nation's governing framework, and much of that may be downright illegal. Crimes may be committed and people may or may not ever be charged with those crimes, but they are not likely to be found guilty of treason in a court of law. And the reason for this is, again, down to its very specific definition. The most crucial element at the moment is the scope of what's happening between the U.S. and Russia and, well, Trump and Putin, is that treason can only be committed when someone from the U.S., president or otherwise, engages in aid or comfort or levies war against us with and involving a country with which we are actually at this moment at war. Not just adversaries or a nation with which we have a long and well-established rivalry, not even if we believe that they may be our enemies, a word which too has a very specific definition in the legal sense. And this also stands for countries that maybe we've been at war with or we might think we might go to war with at some point. To be a traitor, you have to be doing your traitorous activity at a time when we are actively at war with the country with which you are doing these activities. Maybe it feels like we are at war with Russia, but we are not. Not fucking yet anyway. Now, who are we at war with right now? Well, technically, we never really ended the Korean War, so it could be argued that we're still at war with North Korea, and therefore any activities that aid and comfort North Korea could perhaps be construed as treason. Now, we're also at war with terrorist groups like Al-Qaeda, which are not countries but are non states upon which the U.S. can and has formally declared war, which means that engaging with or conspiring with them can make somebody a traitor in the eyes of the law. Now, when we talk about traitors during wartime, one of the most often cited but incorrectly cited examples of treason would be the Rosenbergs, who were executed in the 1950s during the Cold War for giving information about the U.S. nuclear program to the Soviet Union. Their trial and execution became a landmark case 
for espionage, but not for treason. And the reason for that was that the US and the Soviet Union were actually not engaged in a literal war. That didn't mean that the Rosenbergs hadn't committed a crime against the US, and they were tried, convicted, and executed for espionage. But what they did couldn't be considered treason. I mean, technically, the President of the United States would be far more within his right and power to give atomic secrets to Putin if he wanted to, and he could do that without committing treason purely on the technicality of we aren't at war with Russia. That doesn't mean it wouldn't be considered a crime. It doesn't mean that all the shit he's already done or is doing is not illegal and in desperate need of investigation and some kind of comeuppance, but it's not going to count as treason no matter how much we yell about it. All of that being said, what actually has constituted treason in the United States? There are a few notable examples going back to the American Revolution, the earliest of which involved individuals who were leading rebellions primarily against tax resistance, though many of these people were eventually pardoned. During the Civil War, an American named William Mumford was executed after tearing down an American flag that had been flown in a still Confederate South. Though his friends and neighbors cheered him on, the military tribunal found him guilty of, quote, high crimes and misdemeanors against the laws of the United States and the peace and dignity thereof and the law of martial and he was hung, but not before giving a rather lengthy speech about his enduring allegiance to the Confederacy. In the last century or so, there have been a few high-profile cases of treason that occurred during the First and Second World Wars. One of the most well-known is the story of Tokyo Rose, the radio name of a woman named Iva Taguri Diakino, an American woman who worked for the Radio Tokyo during World War II, which was disseminating propaganda to troops in the South Pacific. Similarly, around the same time in Germany, there was a woman named Mildred Gillers, who was known as Axis Sally on her radio program, who participated in the Germans' efforts efforts to demoralize and destabilize American troops abroad through these carefully crafted radio programs and essentially what became propaganda campaigns that were designed to psychologically undermine U.S. troops. Now both women were subsequently charged with treason and the reason these activities warranted the charge was that at the time that they were participating in them, we were at war with the countries that they were helping. Now in the modern age and especially in the context of things like cyber war, you know, emails and election hacking. There have been a lot of questions about the other side of the treason definition, actually waging war against one's country. Levying is the word that they use, and historically this meant that, you know, you got a bunch of people together, you armed them, you grabbed your horses, and you headed off to attack the government. That would be a very visible and clear intention. But with the internet, those actions get so much more subtle, though not necessarily less destructive and probably potentially even more so, and faster, and more widespread. It's a murky area to begin with, but there's also the simple fact, again, that even if any of these online activities between Russia and the U.S. were conspiratory in nature, we aren't at war with Russia, so it's not treason. Now, since 1789, there have only been 30 trials for treason in the United States, and I doubt that anyone in Trump's administration or Trump himself will be number 31. It doesn't mean that any of what's happening is legal. It doesn't mean that it's not serious. But as the definition stands right now, none of it is treason. Now, could that change? Maybe. I mean, as we know from radio propagandists of World War II, technology is an incredible asset for those who want to undermine their enemies. But the internet is capable of a hell of a lot more than a radio broadcast as a radio show was a hell of a lot more powerful than a fast horse and a pitchfork. Still, the definition of treason hasn't evolved or changed, and maybe that's kind of the point, to keep it narrow so that we aren't charging people with it at every turn. But we're not talking about everyday people here. We aren't talking about disgruntled settlers or expats. We're talking about the sitting president of the United States and their members and members of his cabinet. 
I mean, fine, maybe this isn't treason, but we've executed and barred people from this country who had less power for committing lesser crimes. And in this case, it's not even a question of history repeating itself. In terms of precedent, we've got a history of bad shit here, but we haven't got a history of anything quite like this.